0: church family happy sabbath it's good to be here and good to be looking into your smiling faces Um, i i want to give one little update on the church transformation team we've had conversations about the ncd survey and i just wanted to let you know that process is still unfolding there is another meeting coming up this month of the church transformation team and then a follow-up meeting of the church board, considering recommendations, and then you'll get an update and some more clarity on what happens next. So just an update, things are happening. I just don't have any details to give you beyond that this morning. So we'll we'll bring you into the process and uh, it, it's going to work out as we walk this road together. So just that it's happening, things are being processed. And so just a heads up, there is information coming probably later this month, and uh, next steps. I I want to do some, two things before going into today's teaching, number, one, well, three things. The first one is just to publicly acknowledge the evident work of the Holy Spirit this morning. My wife and I had no, no conversation about the song selection for this morning, but I was choking up during the song service because the message in the hymns literally permeates thematically exactly what we're going to find in Habakkuk. There's a profound cross-pollination between those two. That's Holy Spirit work. And the second thing is just for me that um, I have really sensed God being a teacher to me in processing Habakkuk. And um, then my final thing is a warning and permission. I'm going to preach today, and if it's too long for you, it's okay with me if you need to leave. So just a heads up, it's not going to be two hours. But I know sometimes there's like um, diabetes can create a challenge with sitting long between between eating. So, if you need to eat while I'm preaching, or if you need to step out because something else is going on, I'm just going to give you permission to do that. You won't offend me. I just want you to know that you're free to do that. It is recorded and will be posted to YouTube. So, if you need to leave, you can do that and you can pick up what you missed. Um, today is a dig deep, and this is definitely on the dig deep compared to even the first dig deep series. So, you'll need to have your Bible open. Track with me because we're going to get into some serious meat this morning. Really good stuff in the book of Habakkuk. Before we do that, we're going to ask the teacher to be present because while I enjoy and am and, and excited about what I have, it needs to come out in a way that you can get it too. So we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to be present in the teaching and hearing process now. God, thank you. It is so Humbling and just praise to the name of Jesus, praise to the work of the Holy Spirit, that you've shown up to be a teacher to me, that you have shown up in the arrangement of our music this morning. And God, I'm needing you. We are needing you to show up as a teacher in our individual hearts as as we are hearers, and I need you to be with my mouth as the prophets have requested. so or that you promised Isaiah so that there is clarity in my communication. May Jesus and the God family be magnificently uplifted this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Did anyone get a chance to read the book of Habakkuk ahead of time? All right, so it is a very long book. As you noticed, no doubt, a whole three chapters. Habakkuk, by the way... Here is his name, Uh, let me just show you his name in Hebrew, Habakkuk, there is his name in Hebrew, you're not reading, uh, let's see, you're not reading left to right, you're reading right to left opposite of the English, so the first letter is the H sound, and that's what we would think is the end of the word, is actually the beginning of the word, we're reading right side to the left, Habakkuk, and his name means to embrace or caress, and uh, so you, you might use your imagination. There may be some application of that in as we go through the book of Habakkuk. Um, but I'll, I'll just let you see if you can figure out a connection. Some people see a connection. Some people may not, which is fine. Time frame. Habakkuk uh, seems to come. He's, he's in the kingdom of Judah. This is after the fall of the kingdom of Israel. The Assyrians have conquered the Israelite kingdom and that's fallen the Assyrian empire is in its last gasp kind of as uh, as as Habakkuk is here on the scenes Habakkuk is almost certainly coming on the scene after the death of Hezekiah could be during the reign of Josiah could be shortly after that's kind of the time frame we're looking at For the beginning of Habakkuk, and he's also uh, definitely alive before the captivity when Daniel is taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. Habakkuk is alive before that, so he's in probably, he's in between, for sure in between Hezekiah and Daniel. He may live into the captivity, we don't know about that, but his his book is written for sure before the, the, the rise of Nebuchadnezzar. And um, because we're looking at, you'll see it come up this morning, but we're looking at in Habakkuk, he's anticipating the rise of the Babylonians. And so he's before the Babylonians have really become a world-changing player. And while the Assyrians and the Egyptians are still the dominant power in that region um, and affecting God's people. That's the placement I have up there, Nahum, Jeremiah, and Zephaniah. There's overlap Uh, prophetically with the ministry of Habakkuk we actually don't know besides Habakkuk being a prophet we don't know anything else about this guy except his place in history Habakkuk is a fascinating uh, a prophet because there are a few times in scripture where the prophet turns the conversation toward God Most of the conversation is God communicating and and the prophet learning through the the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit and, and processing and speaking to the people about God. In this book, Habakkuk is speaking to God about the people and he's not mincing words. There, he's not being rude to God, but Habakkuk is not holding back. This is a guy who just lets his deep puzzlement come out in clarity in his conversation with God. So we're going to see that as we jump right into the book. In fact, he launches right out of the gate into this very direct questioning of God. The book of Habakkuk deals with what in theology is called theodicy. Theodicy is an attempt to answer the question, where is God when it hurts? Where is God when it hurts? That's the the theodicy umbrella. That's what it's called in theological circles when we try to figure out the presence of God in the pain. Habakkuk is profoundly insightful on that level. And Interesting that God Himself is profoundly willing to respond to this prophet's very pointed, very puzzled, and even critical analysis of God's behavior. And so, on one hand, I want you to understand Habakkuk tells us it's okay to have it out with God. When your life doesn't make sense or the world doesn't make sense, it's okay to go to God with that issue even if you think God is implicated as Habakkuk in some sense feels like God is implicated in this. So it's okay when we take those puzzles to God and push him for an answer. Habakkuk, we find, helps with answering that question. Here is we're going to go to the full piece on this, but this is kind of the burning question, this first piece in Hezekiah, in Habakkuk. Why do you idly look at wrong? That's the burning question in, in Habakkuk's heart. Have you ever felt that way? Ukraine, we could think of. Christians here and around the world, and in Ukraine, God, did you see that the Russians have just invaded our country? Do you see they're pulverizing our cities, that there are businesses that are gone and homes that are gone and children that are gone and hospitals that are bombed? God, did you see that guy down in Texas who shot up that classroom? Were you there for those 45 minutes of of murder? God, did you see when I was a kid, and I'm not even going to go there, but you can film those. Did you see, were you really there when that thing happened in my life? So you put it in there. That's the question that Habakkuk is asking, the hard questions. And let's zoom back and get Habakkuk's full engagement beginning in verse two. This is New Living Translation. I like the little bit more modern, uh, more modern flow to it. How long, O oh Lord, must I call for help? But you do not Listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. Have you ever felt that way? When you look at the news, when you reflect on your own life, when you live the life you're living right now. But Habakkuk isn't finished. He continues, I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. I've Stumbled across a podcast series that I like quite a bit called American Scandal, rather insightful, actually quite useful podcast. It's just looking at stories such as Watergate and the current one is about, um, is about the, um, the Teflon crisis back a few years ago, I think, I don't know if it's back in the, anyway, a few years ago um, Big chemical company was manufacturing, experimenting with Teflon. It was actually a chemical that came from some other industry or, or maybe even from the arms industry. And they were trying to find a use in, in civilians uh, for, I may not get all the details right, but they were trying to repurpose a chemical, that's for sure. And the chemical was somehow showing up in the water system, in the water table. And, and uh, farmers' families were getting sick, cattle were dying, and simultaneously, the company was getting away with it, and it took an incredible legal battle to bring justice to, or some form of justice. So you read, you know, the whole podcast is essentially about this struggle to establish justice and how many times justice has been subverted or circumvented. And uh, just one example, you have your own examples where you can say, hey, th- this, this thing, justice is just Not happening. Thankfully, we're not at a total anarchy, but there's no question justice isn't fully established in the land. So Habakkuk, pretty modern problem. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. That's how Habakkuk kicks off his Question to God, and, and that's the t- context in which he asks God, why do you idly look at wrong? How can you see what's going on and sit silent? So God begins his first response, and this is in verse 5, Habakkuk 1 verse 5, New King James, switching around a little bit, look among the nations and walk. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. Habakkuk, it looks like I'm not doing anything. It looks like I'm not showing up. It looks like your problems aren't even on my radar screen. Habakkuk, watch the unfolding of history, because I'm going to show up, and if I told you what I was going to do, it would be un. And then God begins to explain what he's going to do. <laughs> interesting. He said, you can't believe it, but I'm going to tell you anyway. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans. This is interesting because historically, the Assyrians and the Egyptians were in the dominance. Again, the Assyrians are waning. The Egyptians are kind of at the end of the rope too. But that's, those are the dominant powers. The Chaldeans here have not risen to power yet. They're obviously a people in existence the, um, the Medes and the Chaldeans have, have started to chisel away at the, the Assyrian Empire, uh, and, and so there is that, but the Babylonians, Chaldeans here, that, that ultimately become the Babylonian Empire, they're not an empire. They're, they're still fledgling powers finding their footing during this transition time, and yet God says, listen, it's coming. The Chaldeans are going to rise to power and they're going to bring a kind of justice to the injustice that you're experiencing. So it's fascinating here. We would expect that God would say in so many words, wait for it Habakkuk, I'm going to show up but it's more nuanced than that. God says, I'm going to show up, but actually who's going to show up is that the Chaldeans are going to rise in ascendancy. So here's the thing we're looking at in the book of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk, is we're looking at... The And this is super critical. This is why Habakkuk is so meaningful today. We're looking at the purpose unfolding in human history in the interaction between human beings among themselves and human beings and God. That's what we're going to see here in the book of Habakkuk, this interplay of God and humans and humans and humans. What Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 6 is telling us is that there is this allowance this divine providence is not always active in human history in the sense of making things happen but allowing things to happen that that powers different powers god either sees that they're rising and and steps out of the way predicts their rise And there is this unfolding of human history where God is allowing the Chaldeans to rise, predicting their rise as he sees them developing, stepping out of the way, and they become the human human force to inflict damage on the forces that were oppressing God's people. We're seeing again this struggle of human beings in human history. The Chaldeans are described a little bit more in this verse: a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling it, it, to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. So, this power that is advancing and gobbling up the kingdoms was God's answer as to what's going to happen. Next. Are you showing up in history, God? Yes. And I'm showing up by allowing the Chaldeans to rise to power and bring to terms the Egyptians and especially the Assyrians. The chapter continues there. Chapter 1, you can read 6, 7, 8, 9, this description of the Chaldeans being a fierce and dreaded. Horde and then going down to verse 13. Verse 13. Because now Habakkuk has a problem. You can see here, these are not righteous people, by the way. The Chaldeans are not righteous people. So. Habakkuk's first question is, God, where are you when, when bad things are and trium- bad people are triumphing, and injustice is trembling? Where are you, God? God says, hey, the Chaldeans are coming along, and they're going to do in the Assyrians, your enemies. That presents a problem for Habakkuk, and here it is on the screen for you. You are of pure eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? Quite interesting. So on one hand, the answer is, hey, the Chaldeans are going to rise up and they're going to bring down your enemies. And Habakkuk says, wait, hold on, hold on. How is it that the wicked Chaldeans can somehow mete out justice over our enemies? It's a conundrum now that Habakkuk finds himself in. He's like, how does that work? I I want you to show up and do something, and then the people showing up, are wicked people showing up, and you say that's justice being accomplished? And then we skip down to verse 16 and 17. Now, as the Chaldeans are conquering, Verse 16 tells us that the Chaldeans will get all proud because they think that life is going their way because they're such smart and gifted people. And here it is for you. Therefore, he, that's this rising power, the Chaldeans, sacrifice to his net and burn incense to his dragnet. In other words, in, in a sense, worshiping the Chaldean power, the Chaldean armies. I don't know why I'm off, but I'm still here. Worshiping the Chaldean armies, like, oh, great army, we did this by our power. You might remember a feast that happens after the book of Habakkuk in um, Daniel chapter 5. The last king in the Babylonian empire throws a great feast, and it's a feast to the gods of gold and silver and of the Babylonians. Who have given them such prosperity pride so so what 's observed here by Habakkuk is that okay, God, so you say the Chaldeans are coming along and they 're going to rise in power. Well, the result of that is that these powers do I need to switch mics? Am I coming through okay? okay, I uh, thank you, sorry about that i 'm not hearing it so so that these these this power that's rising up, they're just going to get more and more proud and stuck up and full of themselves because they think they're the ones that are getting the job done. They have great confidence in the human agenda. Here's another piece where the thematic teaching of Habakkuk comes out. Remember, we're talking about the human history and understanding the unfolding of human history. What do we learn from human history? Human beings have a great agenda. You look at the rise and fall of empires. You have it all the way back to Sumer and the first king and, and, and building these little empires and these bigger, and these, you know, it starts like cities and then a, one guy conquers a bigger, another city and this territory starts growing. And human beings have this idea that we know how to govern the world. The Assyrians thought they knew how to govern the world. They built the city of, you know, Nineveh comes, and then they're reaching out and conquering this territory and that territory, and then up come the Medes and the Chaldeans, and they band together, and they start pulling down the Assyrian Empire. Then the Babylonians gain the upper hand, and they establish their territory, and they have these kings that rule, and then come along the Medes and the Persians. They make this collaboration, and they expand, and they rule, and then up come the Greeks who overthrow that whole thing, and they they have their little different way, but kind of the same way of ruling the world, and then sweeps in the Roman Empire and smashes into pieces and establishes a bigger territory. Human history is an experiment of human beings trying to do life themselves. And that's what's being acknowledged here in the text. This human project of running the world is being observed. Interestingly, the question at the end of the chapter about the Chaldeans, is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? In other words, pick them up, dump them in the boat, go for some more, dump them in the boat, dump, get some more, dump them in the boat. Like, is he just gonna go around around the world just scooping up the nations? Like, how long is this power going to run amok over civilization? The Chaldeans are coming, yeah, they're gonna do in the Assyrians. But how long is this kind of predatory behavior going to happen? And then Habakkuk declares this beginning of chapter 1. I will take my stand at my watchtower and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. You're going to see this come up again because this is the disposition of faith faith. Habakkuk says, okay, God, I've asked my question, made my complaint. I'm going to stand and wait for the answer. And then we find ourselves in the good chapter 2. Chapter 2, if you're watching in your text, begins with the Lord's answer, which is this, verse 2, write the vision and make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come and will not delay. Mm. You ever feel like God's delaying in responding to the problems here? God tells Habakkuk, first words out of God's mouth and answering the second complaint of Habakkuk, things are getting worked out, the end is going to come, the vision is going to come, the resolution of this mess is going to come. If it seems like it's taking a long time, just wait because it really truly is going to come to fulfillment. And this is where we begin to get Habakkuk's concept of faith. Let's look at it. Habakkuk 2, verse 4. Very famous text. You might have heard of a man named Martin Luther who uttered, who said there was this phrase that came to his mind that transformed his faith. Does anybody remember what that phrase was? The just shall live by faith. Four words, just, the just shall live by faith. Those words first show up in Habakkuk. Interesting. We're going to look at those words and parse out a Hebrew word for you today, a couple of Hebrew words. My apologies to my friend Ross and I think Eileen, who may be able to pronounce this better than me. Here's the English, though. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. That's observing. Remember Habakkuk said this, they're going to throw their net out and get all these fish and they're going to worship their net, their armies, because, man, look at us. We've got the power to rule the world. Like Belshazzar, big celebration, the gods of gold, silver, etc. These are the great gods of the world. So they're going to get puffed up. The enemy's puffed up. His desires aren't right. He's crooked. It's all messed up. And then the contrast, but, the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. We're going to break down that word faithfulness, which is this Hebrew word. I'm going to throw it on the screen for you, beautiful Hebrew word. Reading from right to left. And I have it on my hand here so I can get it right. Be-emunato. be I know that I don't have all the inflections right, but that's the basic idea. Be'emunato. And it's actually a word that begins with a preposition that I'll divide out for you. That be is a preposition, and that preposition means simply in, at, among, upon, with, away from. Prepositions. We understand prepositions. This preposition is the beginning of the word. And so the preposition related to the word, which is a noun, and here you go, amunita or amunato steadfastness, trustworthiness, faithfulness, honesty. I kept that last phrase in there. It doesn't seem to relate, but I want you to notice it says permanent official duty. And I kept that in there for this reason. The sense of a munito is this idea of permanence, of steadfastness, of stability, of trusting, of hanging in there. That's why I kept all those pieces in there. A munito is this stability, this steadfastness, this, this holding on. So when it says in Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith, there is this sense in which it means the just shall live in his steadfastness, in his trustworthiness. In other words, the believer exists in this place of steady expectation that God is on the move and is resolving the problems of human history even when it seems delayed. Remember the beginning of chapter 2, verse 2, God said write this down so the person who reads it can run with it if the vision seems to tarry, wait for it because it's certainly coming to pass. That's the key here. The sense of living by faith in Habakkuk is that the believer is resting in the certainty that God is ultimately active in and resolving history. So right now, we might ask the question of Habakkuk, God, when the guy's shooting up the classroom in Uvalde, Uvalde, where are you? And God is saying, the righteous understand that there's a process taking place in which God ultimately holds the day, and it's certainly going to work out, but the righteous sometimes have to just hang on. There's a couple examples in the text related to this, and here it is for you. Uh, Habakkuk's example, I told you we'd come back to this, Habakkuk 2.1, I will take my stand. There it is, Habakkuk. Kind of depicting, in, in, a, in a picture sense, standing with expectation. God, I know you're going to show up. I'm just going to wait because I know you're coming through. And then it shows up a little later, which we'll see again, but 3.16. Yet I will what? Oops. Sorry. Let's go back there. I will what? Wait right. patiently. That is the kind of righteousness by faith of Habakkuk 2 verse 4. It's this waiting patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. In other words, God said the Chaldeans are coming and they're going to take down your enemies. And Habakkuk says, faith means I will wait patiently for the promise, the prophecy to unfold as God said it would. And then this text by Jesus, you might recognize it. Matthew chapter 24 verse 13. He who what? Ah, that is the position of the believer, of the faithful, is this standing in the certainty that God is moving in the human story. That even when there's turmoil and upset, that God in heaven is in the mix and ultimately righteousness will prevail. He who endures to the end shall be And so we come back to Hebrews, uh, to Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. See, the enemy is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but in contrast, the righteous person will live by or in his faithfulness. The expectation, that is, the steadfast, patient expectation of God's faithfulness. Now Habakkuk comes back. Continuing in chapter 2, Habakkuk comes back to the enemy in verse 5. Indeed, wine betrays him. Here's another look into this human struggle. Wine betrays him on two different levels. One level, you remember that that party, Daniel 5, Belshazzar has this massive party, gets drunk partying because he thinks that his wisdom is the way that life is is gonna happen, that that his course of action is the course of action that is, is going to hold the day and going to be the definition of the rest of history. It's this celebration of human might, human power, human empire, human greed, and all its benefits. And there's another sense in which that misperception is intoxicating. How many times have the greedy fallen only to be replaced by someone else who is greedy, who thinks that they just need to do the greedy thing a little different way and the greed will hold the day? How many cases of human greed being taken down does it take before human beings learn that greed doesn't rule the world ultimately? How many empires, human empires built on the aggression of human beings overcoming and swallowing up somebody else, the weaker, how many times does that kind of human empire need to to go down before human beings learn that that's just not the way the world is ruled? That's what Habakkuk is getting us to. That human history is this human experiment of making the human idea of doing life and play out on the human stage. Letting greed take the day. Letting human aggression and oppression take the day. And it's intoxicating to the power broker. He's arrogant, never at rest, because he is as greedy as the grave. And like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all nations and takes captive all the peoples. But then accountability is coming. I want you to notice this next. In other words, chapter 2, verse 5 says that the arrogant, he thinks, hey, I've got life by the horns. I can do this thing. I can run the world. And he's just aggressive, reaching out and conquering. And then this haunting question, will not your creditors suddenly arise? See, there's something in this human history that human beings, and I would vouch, is The major point, one of the major points in the book of Habakkuk is God is saying, listen, Habakkuk, this is what's happening in human history. Human beings are pursuing their ideas of civilization. The Chaldeans are going to rise and they're going to plunder. But then you know what? The plundered are going to rise up against the plunderer and say enough is enough. And the cycle continues. The 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 plunderers become the plundered and the plundered become the plunderers. And this vicious cycle of one prey becoming the prey of another. Dog eat dog world, you ever heard of that? God's telling Habakkuk, this is human civilization trying to work itself out by its own ideas is the dog-eat-dog world. The predator becomes the prey and the prey becomes predator only to eventually become the prey again. And then we jump down to verse 13, because God gives us this note, behold... Is it not from the Lord of hosts that people's labor merely for what? For what? What success can you really count if in the end it's all burned up to ashes? Like, how can the Romans stand here today... I'm not talking about the people who live in Italy. I'm talking about the ancient Roman empires. The emperors stand up there and say, man, we were so great when your empire ended up in ashes. Now, what Habakkuk is saying, what God is saying to Habakkuk is, listen, I told you humans this long before, that human beings living by the rule of greed and power, I told you it just doesn't work. I told you that human beings pursuing empire and and civilization by the overreach of greed and the oppression of the weak and the prey becoming the predator and the predator becoming the prey. I told you that doesn't work. I've told you a long time ago it doesn't work. So God is identifying here that He's told human beings that this way of dog-eat-dog world is not sustainable. And I I would present to you that that's the core of the struggle between good and evil in human history, that when we don't see God showing up, God saying, listen, wait a minute, I'm here, I'm working, but part of my working is to allow human beings to work out their ideas of civilization, and that means that sometimes, the, that, that means that in the course of history, the prey becomes the predator, and the predator becomes the prey. And human beings build greatness only to find it consumed in ashes and brought to nothing. In other words, the human project as done by human greed and power reach is futile. Part of human history is human beings learning the futility of that power and dominance system totally not working. And then, the result of this process with God engaged in the mix results in this, 2:14. For the Earth, what? What does it say? The Earth? When is that? Present or future? So God says, "Listen, Habakkuk, I'm not inactive in history, but here's how I'm working. I'm allowing powers to rise up and practice their projects, to to experiment with our ideas of how civilization works. One power will, will, will rise up to take down your enemies, but then another power will rise up to take them down. And ultimately, as I work in human history and I allow human history to unfold and human beings to experiment, ultimately it's going to become clear that God's way is the way of goodness and justice. And what fills the earth? The glory of the Lord fills the earth as the waters cover the sea. Listen, God says, Habakkuk, hang on, it's going to happen. It might not look like it's happening now, but I'm not idle. I'm moving behind the scenes. I'm working in human history so that human beings will ultimately come through their observation of human history and my interactions with human beings will ultimately learn that the way of love, not said here, but that's obviously the case, the way of love is the way of life. And the truth about God and His good way of doing kingdom will fill the world. Now what's fascinating is there's a little little verse in Revelation 18 that cues into this same concept. I want you to look at it. After this, This is end time human history. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the what? The earth was made what? So Habakkuk is quite a contemporary book to modern times explaining to us that in human history is this unfolding, this experimentation, this struggle between the way of God and the way of people, and that in time history, we'll see the world illuminated as prophesied way back in Habakkuk with the knowledge that God's way of love is the way that actually makes civilization civil. Hang with me. We're moving through chapter 2. We'll get to chapter 3. Chapter 3 will go quite, quite a bit faster. We're coming now to the end of 2 verse 20. I promise you this was a dig deep. Listen, if you've got to get, get up and leave, you won't offend me. You can watch the stream later. But hang with me if you can. Habakkuk 2.20. Notice this. But the Lord is where? Ha. When you're praying that prayer like Habakkuk, God, why are you silent when my life is being trashed by the enemy? God, why are you silent when my country is being trashed by the enemy? God, why are you silent when my court case is being run over by injustice? Remember that faith position, faith in this Habakkuk context is this steadfast, this steady trust that God is moving in human history. It's this understanding in Habakkuk 2.20 that the Lord is in His holy temple, that even while there's a mess down here, while human beings are experimenting with the project of civilization on their own terms, that God is in His holy temple. That he hasn't forgotten human beings, that yes, human beings are in this struggle, figuring out prey, becoming predator and predator becoming prey, and yet God is in his holy temple and he is engaged, even though you have to wait for it. God is engaged in human history and helping to resolve human history. Not by, not by overpowering human history, but by in the story of human history, allowing truth to come out and falsehood to come out and his character to come out in all its beauty. There's some fascinating leaps into the future in chapter 3, and we're going to jump into chapter 3 right now. We're actually going to jump in. If you want to go to your Bibles, I'm going to read chapter 3 and pause at a couple of points, and then we'll be wrapped up. So Habakkuk records a prayer, Or, if you look at the end of chapter 3, there's this note, to the choir master, Habakkuk's prayer may also have been, at least it appears to have also been, a hymn, perhaps a hymn of worship. So here's his prayer. Habakkuk has listened to God, he's spoken his prayer, and now he offers this hymn, incredible hymn. You'll recognize parts of it as we go through it. O Lord, I have heard, verse 2, the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, receive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. In other words, as this stuff is going down, remember that God in mercy is engaged in the human project. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from His hand and there he veiled his power. We're going to pause right there because I want you to notice something. In the story of Scripture, sometimes the prophet and the human beings only see the barbed wire fence. But then sometimes in the text, the lens. Have you ever used a camera with an aperture? And if you, you can do it on your iPhone you're real close to stuff. When you're focused, you know, like this close, you get a nice, clear focus like on the fence here, but the back is all blurred out. Well, in a camera, you can grab that lens ring and turn the focus. And all of a sudden, you see the foreground blur and the background show up. That's what happens here twice in Habakkuk chapter 3. This first time, see, Habakkuk is speaking into his time in history. But now we get a macro shot, a behind the scenes shot, and here's where it shows up. And it's this. And I'm going to. Let Ellen White explain this one. There's the text again, and then we're going to jump to... Oh, sorry, I changed on the wrong. If I change it on there, you can't see it. Let me change here. Then you'll see it. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from His where? His hand. Where His power was what? Fascinating. God has what kind of power? Hidden power. This is a focus shot. We're moving from the foreground to the background. Watch this, how Ellen White makes this observation. One reminder alone remains. Our Redeemer will ever bear the marks of His crucifixion upon His wounded head, upon His side, His what? Hands and feet are the only traces of the cruel work that sin has wrought says the prophet, beholding Christ in His glory, he had bright beams coming out of his side. By the way, that's just a different translation. Here in the ESV, it's his hands. Again, both of them, crucifixion reminders. And there was the what? Ah, this is incredible. Habakkuk has in the middle of his worship song the showing up of the crucified Christ to resolve the the struggle of human history. Human beings think that you can gain this thing, that you can rule this world by greed and dominance and overreach. But the king shows up with hidden power, hidden at the cross. Paul calls it foolishness. God says, Habakkuk didn't know it. But God showed up to Habakkuk and said, listen, Habakkuk, I'm going to win this thing in a way you never imagined. I'm going to show up in the flow of human history and demonstrate that power is not established by greed and overreach. Power is established by sacrificial love. Listen, Habakkuk is a 2022 book. It's not just a pre Babylonian exile book, it's a 2022 book, because this thing is won by the crucifixion of Christ. That's how human beings learn that power over reach and dominance and greed are not the way that civilization unfolds or is civil, but that the crucified Christ, the gospel of power under, not power over, is the way that, is the thing that civilizes human Interaction. And that's the thing in Revelation 18. When, when this angel shows up and the glory of God fills the world, it's the story of God's love that fills the world in contrast to the struggle of human society. I've been fascinated lately as I listen. I listen to a podcast, I might get myself in trouble here. Uh, maybe I shouldn't mention it. I don't want to label myself. One of the podcasts I listen to is a political podcast but I hear it in in lots of places. If you listen to the political language on all sides, human beings are wrestling with the question of how to do sustainable civilization. That is not coincidental. Part of the end time human project is a global human reflection on the struggle to do sustainable civilization while simultaneously the gospel teaching on how to do human civilization is rising to the front. In other words, part of the human project before the coming of Jesus is a global reflection at some level on the failure of human society to make a workable civilization that is simultaneously contrasted with the rising global presence of a people of God who talk about a crucified Christ and who live a selfless gospel. That contrast is an essential final move in the human project, and it's highlighted in the book of Habakkuk. That's why even on political podcasts, you're seeing this human reflection on the failed human project. That's why liberals are wrestling with the fact that in liberal cities, there's still not justice like they want. That's why conservatives are wrestling in the, with, with, with why, in spite of all the best laws and all the best work they're doing, we're still not at a civilized human society. That's why everybody's wrestling with this. That's why they're struggling for power, because they can't figure out how this human thing is solved. And in the middle of that, the gospel shows up and God says, listen, here's how it's solved. On a mountainside, Jesus stood. When the people sat, he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, The kingdom of heaven. Actually, he began, Blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor in spirit. Taught them about the kingdom. That's the gospel message that's coming back. It's going to be at the forefront, filling the earth like the waters, as Habakkuk said, filling the earth with glory, as Revelation 18 said. Let's finish this quotation, then we're almost at the end of the chapter. That pierced side whence flowed the crimson stream, that reconciled man to God, there is the Savior's glory. There the hiding of His power and the tokens of His humiliation are His highest honor. Through the eternal ages, the wounds of Calvary will show forth His praise and declare His what? Now you remember in chapter 2, And chapter 1, how Habakkuk was talking about how as the Chaldeans rose to power, they would worship their armies and be filled with pride because, hey, we can rule the world by our power is contrasted with, actually, you rule the world by giving up power in selfless love that's really how you rule the world and so this human project of prey becoming predator predator becoming prey is for human beings to finally recognize if they're willing to that the human project is not doable unless it's done by self-sacrificing love that my friends puts Habakkuk in 2022 one more place this shows up Let's go. I'll put it black so you're not distracted. Let's get back to the black here. One more place that shows up is coming. Five, before him went pestilence, Habakkuk 3.5, and plague followed his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses or on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers, the mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted up its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. By the way, you can hear the last song we sang this morning, How Great They Are, right? Right there? You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. See, God showing up in history. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. In other words, wait for it, Habakkuk. Just just stand in in faith that I'm going to show up because it's coming. It might might take a little while, but Habakkuk, it's coming, and I'm going to show up for the salvation of my people. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Here it is. I just want you to see that text on the screen. It's right here, 13. You came out to deliver your people to save your one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. Does that bring a, ring a bell for any of you all the way back to the book of Genesis? little prophecy back there that God gave to Adam and Eve. They were just defeated. They had just given into the lie that, that self-centeredness was the way to do life. That's the whole thing Habakkuk's about. And God gave this promise, 315 Genesis, that the seed of the woman, Jesus, would crush. Ah, this is another one of those shots where the camera blurs out the foreground and into the background, and we see an allusion to the ultimate fall of the enemy of human civilization and universal civilization, Satan. Flashback to Genesis 3.15 of the crushing of Satan's head. Flash forward to the crucifixion and the crushing of Satan's head, and we continue to wrap up today's teaching in Habakkuk chapter 3. Verse 14, you pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors. He came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, Here's faith, remember, the faith in Habakkuk 2 is standing in the belief that God is moving and will sort this thing out in the end. You saw this earlier today, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. That is, I'll wait, God, for things to unfold as you've said they would. Now, before we finish the last few verses of Habakkuk, which you might recognize, one note. It's okay to tremble when you think of human history and see things going down. It's okay to tremble over how, over the struggle and suffering under the human project and its consistent failings. It's okay to struggle with that. Habakkuk says, I saw that. I saw God showing up and I saw this whole thing going down and I trembled. Yet, uh, let's see, verse 17 Habakkuk says, let's go back to the end of verse 16, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. I'm going to wait, God, because I know you're going to show up. Verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom. Whoa. So Habakkuk says, listen, I know God's showing up. And even though, in these verses you'll notice, my sustenance fails. I'm going to stand in the certainty that my God is going to show up because He's moving and acting in history. Notice Habakkuk. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the oil fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. God, even if I lose my job and my pantry's empty... God, I'm, I'm going to stand because now I understand that you're moving in the course of human history, in the project of human history. Now I know that you're sitting in heaven and that this thing's going to resolve for the good even if I have to wait for it. That's living by faith in the words of Habakkuk. Last verse of the chapter, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high place. In other words, God, because you're showing up, because you're really going to do this thing, I can be lighthearted with hope, even if my cupboards are bare and my fig trees don't have a single fig and my flocks have all run away or starved to death. God, I know you're moving in human history, and I'm okay to wait for it because it's going. I hope you were blessed by today's message. For more content or to connect with us, visit us online at brunswickadventist.church.